Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Our scripture reader is Snowden in the Bronx. So I get to do that too. Romans 1, 18 through 24. Reading it from the world, Worldwide English Translation. But if you'd like to follow along in the NIV, it's on page 2165 in the Pew Bible. God is angry. He has shown it from heaven. He is angry because of all the bad and wrong things people do. These people hold back God's truth by the wrong things they do. They know about God. God himself has shown them. People cannot see that God has power which lasts forever. They cannot see that he is really God. But ever since he made the world, he has clearly shown us by the things he made. So they cannot say, I did not know about God. Even though they knew he was God, they did not worship him as God. They did not thank him. Their thoughts were no good. Their foolish minds became dark. They said they were wise people, but they were foolish people. They did not worship God who cannot die. But they worship things made to look like a man who does die. They worship things made to look like birds and animals and snakes. So God left them to do so God left them to do the things their heart wanted to do. The word of the Lord. This week I was on jury duty. And um, I didn't get chosen. And in a minute I think you'll know why I didn't get chosen. So I was in the pool of, of people that they start to question for, you know, serving in the trial and the the trial was or the the case was about sex trafficking um and that's probably why I didn't get chosen I mean sex trafficking pastor defense attorney's probably not going to like me on his jury anyway I I totally understand the presumption of innocence. I totally get the fact that the, the defendant is not guilt. You know, he's innocent until proven guilty. I get that. And I, I think I could have listened to the facts of the case and, and, and made a, a, a judgment on the facts. And, and I think I could have done that. But here's the deal. As the, as the judge was reading the charges... Uh, the allegations against this guy who's sitting right there, I started getting angry. Um, she's talking about, you know, sex trafficking and, and violence against these four women. And, 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 as she, and these are just allegations. I don't know if he's guilty or innocent. I don't know. But just the, just the allegations were making me angry. And I thought, isn't it interesting that I'm getting angry about this evil that is just, it's just alleged evil. I don't even know if it's true. And it's allegedly been perpetrated against four women that I don't even know. 
And I'm starting to get angry. So does it make sense that God would get angry at real evil perpetrated against real people that he really loves? Does that make sense? You bet it does. And that's what Paul talks about. He, in this text this morning, he talks about the fact that evil and wrongdoing make God angry because those things always bring harm and destruction on the people that he created and the people that he loves. This morning we're in the third week of our, city, of our series, All Roads Lead to Romans, where we're talking about the issues of life and how they connect back to the story of God and how Paul addresses all of those things. And in these past two weeks, we've just kind of been warming up. And we, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that, that Paul says that all of us are loved by God and we're all called to be holy. We're all called to be saints. And then last week, we looked at at verses 16 and 17, which are the essence of the gospel, that that we are saved by faith, faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ and, and his death and his resurrection. That's what saves someone, not works, not because we can't earn it, we can't achieve it. That's the, the essence of the gospel message, and that's the, the, the gospel that Paul is now going to spend the rest of the book unpacking for us. So what we, what we launch into this morning is the beginning of Paul's dissertation on the gospel. Now, what I need to let us all be aware of this morning is that... Um, the first few chapters of Romans are not good news. Okay? Can we all just accept that? The next few weeks is all bad news. But Paul has reason behind that. You see, before we can understand, and eventually he's going to tell us that we are all equal candidates for the grace of God. But before we can really come to appreciate the grace of God, we have to understand the mess that we're in. We have to understand our depravity and, and our problem before we can understand, really appreciate the God that we have. And so for the next you know, couple of chapters, Paul is going to really show us um, God's wrath. He's going to show us the mess that we're in. So that's where Paul begins in verse 18. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. That's how the NIV translates it. But I, I think the, um, the worldwide English translation really conveys the emotion of this. It says, God is angry. He has shown it from heaven. He is angry because of all the bad and wrong things people do. See, God is angry at evil. And many of us, for many of us, that's a revelation. Some of us see God or kind of view God as as a, you know, a harried high school principal. You know, he's too busy 
going around and keeping things under control, too busy keeping the stars aligned and all that stuff, than to really take notice of us. But that's not true. Some of us see God kind of as a doting parent who who never sees or is blind to the, the failures and fallacies of their children. That's not true either. Some of us think that God loves us so much that he could never be angry at our evil or ever angry with us. But what we don't understand is that real love, real love is always angry with evil. We may not understand God's anger because sometimes we confuse the wrath of God with the wrath of humanity. You know, we get angry because we get overlooked or we get rejected or somebody steps on our toes or somebody hurts our feelings. We get angry and that often erupts in, you know, in temper and sometimes even violence. That's, that's human anger. But that has nothing to do with the anger of God. See, God doesn't get angry because he doesn't get his way. He gets angry because disobedience always results in self-destruction. Do you think God giggles at adultery? Think he snickers at murder? Do you think he just sits back and watches what we put on our television and says, oh, humans will be humans? I don't think so. God is rightfully angry because God is a holy God and our sin is an affront to his holiness. Habakkuk 1.13 says, his eyes are too good to look at evil. He cannot stand to see those who do wrong. And here's the thing. It's not like we don't know when we're going against God's design. Right? Paul says, we are without excuse. In what I think are some of the most arresting words of the Bible, Paul says in verse 18 and following, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made made so that people are without excuse. We are without excuse because God has revealed himself to us through his creation. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 19? He said, The heavens tell the glory of God, and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day they tell their story. Night after night they tell it again. They have no speech or words. They have no voice to be heard. But their message goes through all the world. Their words go everywhere on earth. I love that. You see, every star... Every star is an announcement of God. Every leaf that you look at 
is a declaration of God. Every amber sunset and every foaming ocean wave and every snow-capped majestic peak declares the same thing, that God is. It's all there. Creation is God's first missionary. There are those who never held a Bible or heard a scripture. There are those who die before a translator puts God's word into their tongue. There are millions who lived in ancient times before Christ or who live in distant lands far from Christians. There are, in fact, the simple-minded who cannot comprehend the gospel. So what does the future hold for the person who never hears the name Jesus? Paul's answer is clear. The human heart can know God through the handiwork of nature. If that is all one ever sees, that's enough. One need only to respond to what he is given. And if he is only given the testimony of creation, that is enough. Because God has made himself known through the creation. And even if you can't connect all the dots, there's enough there to say, I want to worship that God. Paul goes on in verse 21. Basically, he said, says, yeah, but they didn't do that. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And then in verse 28, he says, they did not think it worthwhile. It wasn't worthwhile. It wasn't important to retain the knowledge of God. Remember that poem that you had to memorize in the eighth grade, Invictus by Edgar Wayne Henley? Remember that poem? No? It matters not how straight the gate. It matters not how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my soul. The captain of my soul. Remember that? No. Nobody else had to memorize that? I had to memorize that. I went to a better school than you did. Um, that, it, the poem is entitled Victory. And it, and it celebrates the sovereignty of man and rejects the sovereignty of God. So what happens when a society decides, I am the captain of my soul? What happens when a, when a society doesn't 
think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Are there consequences for a godless pursuit of of life? According to Romans 1, when we live that way, we lose our standard, we lose our purpose, and we lose our worship. You see, if you believe there is no ultimate good behind the world, then how do we define good within the world? If the majority of if the majority opinion determines good and evil, what happens when the majority's wrong? What happens when humanity in its sinful, foolish, and darkened heart refuses to acknowledge the true God and rejects Him? Well, Voltaire said, if there is no God, we must invent one. You know why? Because all of creation screams that there is a God, that God is. And we know that in the core of our being. And so if we try to be wise and reject the reality of the true God, then we have to invent something else. But instead of seeking out the God who has revealed himself, we invent our own gods based upon human reasoning and speculation. And the text tells us what the end to that is. Verse 21, it is futile. Because these invented gods cannot answer life's questions such as where creation comes from, where sin comes from, how can it be overcome, who God is and where his eternal dwelling place is. Invented gods cannot answer those questions. And if you cannot answer those questions with certainty, then your religion is nothing but form. Denying the real power of God and it is destined to fail. It is futile. Just look at the history books. The French Revolution of 1789 elevated what? Reason. Right? It elevated reason to deity. And what happened? It ended in a bloodbath and left France as a shell of a nation. You have the the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 with Hegelian and Marxist thought elevating what? Science and community to deity. What happened? Stalin came to power, killed 20 million people, was accountable to no one, and made Russia into a shell of a nation. The Nazi revolution of 1930, Adolf Hitler elevated the Aryan race to deity. And he exterminated what he determined as lesser beings. And what happened in Nazi Germany? It was decimated in a world war and became a shell of a nation. What's happening in Syria right now? What's happening in parts of Africa right now? You see, if if you follow a godless pursuit of life to its logical conclusion, that's what you get. If there's no standard, there's no purpose, and there's nothing worthy of worship, then there are no moral absolutes. You see, what happens is having no moral absolutes looks fine on paper, and it's kind of fun to talk about in philosophy class, but it doesn't work in real life. Just ask the woman who's 
husband cheated on her and walked out on her and her, her three children for a new model. And he says, well, divorce may be wrong for you, but it's okay for me. Or ask the teenage girl who's pregnant and whose boyfriend says, if you have the baby, you're responsible. Or ask the the elderly couple who are living social security check to social security check who get ripped off by some huckster who feels like it's okay as long as he doesn't get caught. You see, a godly view of the world has something to say on all those issues. Faith challenges people to answer to a higher standard than personal opinion. You may think it's right. Society may think it's okay. But the God who made you said, you shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And he wasn't kidding. What dyke does the God-denying thinker have to stop the flood? If a society deletes God from the human equation, what sandbags will they stack up against the swelling tide of barbarism or hedonism? As Dostoevsky said, said, if God is dead, then everything is justifiable. You see, if you replace the true God with anything else, it is just futile. It's destined to fail. And Paul adds, it is foolish. Now, I was a philosophy major in college for about three days. True story, long story, but anyway, I lasted about three days in the philosophy department. And I took a couple of philosophy classes. And if you took philosophy as I did, then you found out what I found out, and that is that humanity does not have a clue. Humanity has no answers to the origin of life or human existence or or anything. There's nothing conclusive out there. There are so many schools of thought that it boggles the mind. You have the pantheists who say that God is in everything, the animists who say that God is behind everything, and the humanists that say there is no God. So which is it? You have um, Plato who said you can find reality in the ideal, and then Aristotle who said that you find reality in the accidents. Which is it? The rationalists say that you find meaning through your mind. The empiricists say that you find meaning through testing. And then Hume comes along and says, no, you can't find it through testing because all testing is is putting information through your mind. And so ultimately you can't know anything. So which is it? The mystics say... No, you can know things, but the reality is in the spiritual realm through God, and he communicates to you through your emotion. But then the existentialists say, no, you can't can't 
test it through your emotion. The only way you know reality is you know God by you being God. You create your own universe. You do your own thing. And now we finally come full circle. And you know what we're back to? Pantheism. The force. Scientology. We've come full circle. So which is it? You see... If you study philosophy, all you're studying is the historic error of humanity that can't figure out what's going on. It's like a dog chasing its tail. And I majored in that for three days. Would you build your life on a rejection of God and replace him with your own philosophy that just doesn't work? For us to reject God and replace him is just foolish. And that's what verse 23 says. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Not even the real thing. For images made to look like, and notice the digression, mortal man and birds and animals and snakes. We are a smart group of people. We want to worship the thing that crawls on its belly. So to the society that wants to go its own way, God says the most terrible thing that God can say. He says, okay, do whatever you want. He says it three times in this text. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. And as the worldwide English translation says, God gave them over to do what they want. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over. Verse 28, he gave them over. God said, you don't want a dike? Okay, let's see how you can swim. Let's see how your morals do. Let's see how your families do and marriages do. Let's see how your culture does without me. Do whatever you want. Basically, God cuts them loose. And friends, this is what is meant by the wrath of God. God is not going to rain down fire and brimstone on us. What he's going to do is he's going to say, if you want to walk away from me, okay. Do whatever you want and see how that works out for you. And that's his wrath. This is when your 18-year-old comes to you and says, Dad, I don't want to follow your rules anymore. I think I got it all figured out. I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to live the way I want to live. When your son comes to you, your daughter comes to you and says that, you say the most, the hardest thing you've ever had to say to them, the most terrible thing that you could say to them, you say it with a mixture of sadness and anger. But you say, okay, here's 20 bucks for a half a tank of gas. Do whatever you want. You do that not because you hate your child. You do that because you love your child. And you can't handcuff your child to the doorknob, though you want to. 
You do that because your hope is that your child will go out there and recognize that they don't know it all. And they can't figure it out. And that there is a standard and they will come to their senses and they will come back. You do it out of love. But it's the hardest thing, the most terrible thing that you have to say. It was Oscar Wilde who said, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. God said, okay, you don't want to dike? Fine, let's see how you can swim. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. Do what you want. He gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Isn't it interesting that the same people who will not glorify or honor God in verse 21, when God cuts them loose in essence to be their own God, in verse 24 they degrade and dishonor themselves with one another? You see, essentially God is saying, okay, you want to be God of your life? Then I'm going to let you treat each other the way you treat me. Why? Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Friends, when you exchange the truth of God, who he is and what he has decreed for humanity, when you reject that and replace that, then you are headed for heartache and destruction. In verses 26 through 31, Paul articulates the various ways that we walk away from God's standard. We walk away from our purpose. We walk away from worshiping the true God. And in so doing, we bring destruction on ourselves and on our society. He talks about lustful homosexuality. He talks about greed and depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. He talks about gossips and slanderers and God-haters, arrogance and pride. He mentions those who disobey their parents, who cheat on their spouse, who have no love, and who have no mercy. And it's all in the context of verse 28. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They didn't think it worthwhile. They didn't think it was important That God wasn't important. He's not worth it. He has no place in my education, no place in my work ethic, no place in society, no place in my family, no place in my marriage, no place in my morals, no place in my sex life. He is not worth it. And since they thought that, then God let them go on thinking that. Paul says, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not ought to to be done. He said, okay, do whatever you want. We knew we were playing with fire and we just kept playing with fire. And the end result of that is decimation. And if you don't believe that, just read your history books and look at the the cultures that have gone down that path. Now we could spend weeks, literally weeks, unpacking each of these sinful behaviors in detail. But we're not going to do that. 
And some of you have, have read these verses in, in Romans chapter 1, and you look at verses 26 through 28, and they talk about homosexuality, and you've heard, you know, discussions around that. Um, I'm not going to talk about homosexuality this morning. And it's not because I want to skirt the issue. It's because that's not what this text is about. If you want to come back and hear what we believe as a church about homosexuality, then come back in the fall. Because in the fall, we're going to do a series on hot topics, and that is one. Okay? So we'll deal with that when we get there. But this text is about the depravity of humanity. It's not about homosexuality. If you single out homosexuality, what about greed? What about slander? What about gossip? What about unfaithfulness? What about having no mercy? You see, all those things are in here. Paul's point is, look at the list. We're all in there. We're all in there. I'm in here more times than I want to admit. And Paul is saying, he's saying that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And although we, we, we knew God, He's revealed to us, and although we knew His righteous decrees, we said, no, I, I'm going to replace that. I'm going to do my own thing. And God said, okay. Let's see how you can swim. Friends, humanity has suppressed the knowledge of the truth by their wickedness. And so, verse 18 says, God's wrath, his anger is being revealed against anything and anyone who suppresses the knowledge of the truth by their wickedness. God loves the sinner, which, by the way, is all of us. No amens? (laughs) I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. We're all in there. And God loves us. He loves the sinner. But guess what? He hates our sin. He hates our sin. He is angry with our sin. You know why? Because our sin takes us away from Him and it leads us toward destruction. It's real evil that hurts real people that he really loves. And that makes him angry. What was true in Paul's day is true in ours, and we would do well to heed his warning. Otherwise, what's to keep us from destroying ourselves? If there is no standard in this life, if there is no purpose to this life, and if there is nothing worthy of our worship, what's to keep us from doing whatever we want? Nothing. Remember the story Jesus told about the prodigal son? Know that story? The prodigal said to the father, give me my share of the inheritance and I'm out of here. What did the father do? The the father gave him his share of the inheritance and said, I think with a mixture of sadness and anger, 
Here you go. Now go do what you want. And after two years, the son was envious of pigs. Friends, the problem is not that God hasn't spoken. The problem is we haven't listened. God says his anger is directed against anything and anyone who suppresses the knowledge of truth. God loves his children and he hates what destroys them. This doesn't mean that he flies into a rage or loses his temper or is emotionally unpredictable. It simply means that God loves you. He loves you. And as I said the first week, I hope you leave every Sunday knowing that God loves you. But he loves you so much that he hates what you do that turns you away from him. Because it's going to destroy you. You can call it holy hostility. You can call it divine disgust. You can call it whatever you want. But the reality is that God is angry at the evil that destroys his children. So the question is not, how dare a loving God be angry? The question is, how could a loving God be anything else? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the bad news. <laughs> um, it is it is unsettling. It is convicting to look at that list and know, to look at this text and know that in in many ways I have replaced you with my own ideology. In many ways, I have gone against your standard. And, and, and in many ways, I've brought destruction upon myself. And, and you hate that. You're angry at that. Lord, I pray that all of us would be convicted today. And that we would look at this list and not see it as a list to point fingers at other people, but as a mirror that reflects our own sin, our own depravity so that we would fall on our knees and recognize our need for a Savior. And Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that we have one. sin became sin for our sake so that we might become the righteousness of God.